I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. You know how life always seems to give you exactly what you need? Well, I've been feeling overwhelmed with all of the stuff I am leading. It's been weeks of nonstop activity, client travel, long days, and then guilt over not leading the way I think I should or spending enough time with my family. And then Karen Manji comes into my life. Karen is the vice president, customer and market insights at Salesforce, and she knows something about leading a very full calendar. Karen is the author of an empowering book called Success with Less. She sums up her story in three words, yes, never, and release. She reached a point many years ago when she could no longer ignore the signs that she needed to slow down and focus more on her needs. Today, Karen is intentional about taking care of herself so that she can best serve others. Listen in as Karen shares practical strategies to create more room for you in the midst of a full calendar. When I think about the journey that brought me to where I am at Salesforce, it's really a story about dreams deferred. When I was attending university, one of the jobs I had was working for a professor who was conducting research about radio and television news directors. And his essential motion was to author and send out a survey to get feedback from the survey, figure out what it meant, and then publish a series of articles designed to help people do everything from present better and more engaging content to how they hired interns and everything in between. And my role working for him was to call and follow up on people who hadn't responded to their surveys and either send a new one or conduct it over the phone. And over the course of a few months, that turned into the opportunity to start actually analyzing some of the findings with him and then ultimately co-author and publish a couple of articles. So that put my sights on going to work for Nielsen Ratings. You might know it as the company that back in the day did all the you know media ratings that helped do things like set advertising prices for commercials, right? Well, the interesting thing about that was I discovered at the end of my college time that Nielsen Ratings was actually headquartered in Iowa. And I thought to myself, I don't want to live in Iowa. And so I went off in a completely different direction. And over the course of time, I started in project management at AT AT&T and then went into the sales world. From there, I went on to Cisco, where I had the opportunity to see a different part of the tech world. Uh, and learn about customers and partners in a different way through roles in sales leadership and channels, as well as delivering something called our partner experience. And what I found out in that role as it continued to evolve over time, and I added customer listening to that portfolio, was that ultimately my job at Cisco was really to be our Nielsen ratings function. My job was to help oversee sending out surveys and getting feedback from customers and figuring out what it means. And in much the same way that works out for Nielsen, as you can imagine, what your customers think about you has a lot to do with how much they're willing to pay for the products and services they get from you. And so ultimately that opened the door, getting that kind of experience to come to Salesforce. And one of the things that I love about my role is it combines a little bit of everything that I've done in my career. It's that listening to customers, understanding themes, 
It's putting into context what's happening in the market. And most of all, telling compelling stories with information that drive people to take action to improve things for our customers and for our partners around the world. So you're kind of the chief Nielsen ratings officer then at Salesforce. I think about it a little bit in those terms. And and then maybe it's also the chief broadcaster because then you get to tell the story. So I feel that media background came together in sort of a new and different way. And I find that lots of people take a longer term to get to a dream or to a goal that you have, whether that's in your career and in your life. And one of the lessons that experience taught me is that's actually okay. Sometimes along the way of getting these little pieces of experience that goal is a little richer or you can get to it in a completely different way than you imagined. It's just, you might get there on a different timeline. Right. But it's all purposeful. It's all part of it. It's good to hear you say you can see the connection and what you're doing today combines a little bit of everything throughout your career. Yes. I've always been interested in people's stories. You know, I love the stories of people who are entrepreneurs who start businesses or you know, people who lead a big turnaround or people who undergo a personal transformation. And one of the beauties of my job is all day long, I get to hear people's stories, you know, and what differentiates them from the rest. And in fact, recently, it's been interesting to take on sponsoring the relationship that we have as a company with an organization called YPO, the Young Presidents Organization. So imagine a membership-based organization of thousands of people who became CEOs very early in their career and senior leaders and the kind of stories they have to tell. So I'm discovering an entirely new richness and context for that skill that's serving us in understanding what's happening with executives who are at our customers much better and in a much deeper way. Oh, yeah. And people relate to that. That's so good. Well, and that's the premise of being at work is leaders sharing stories. So now that we've got some context to your background and what got you to where you are today, Tell us about a specific situation or a pivotal moment in your career that taught you something about yourself as a leader. In keeping with the story theme, I think the story of the pivotal transformation in my life could maybe be summed up with really a three-word story. And those three words for me would be yes, never, and release. And those were three words that became very powerful stories with a lot of context in my life. You know, along the way of that career climb and all of those fantastic career opportunities, one of the things that I noticed over time was I wasn't feeling quite like myself. And I think we all have this inside voice that talks to us from time to time. It just doesn't always say super convenient things, right? Usually that inside voice is telling us something's out of alignment. You know, maybe we're not happy. We're not healthy. We're not feeling well. We need to make an adjustment. And more often than not, I think we cover up that inside voice with activity because it's a little scary to be quiet and to reconcile with what might actually be going on. And in my situation, I was noticing that as I was making some great career progress, I was starting to feel really tired and not just the kind of tired where you didn't get enough sleep last night. I mean, a bone deep, no matter how much you sleep kind of tired. And so I kind of explained it away a little bit. And then I started gaining a little weight, right? We all do that. Maybe your age changes, you're traveling for your job. So it's easier to eat those delicious appetizers and desserts at the restaurant. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just start going to the gym a little more instead of working on email during that period of time. 
And there was just this powerful attention getting moment for me when I went to make a phone call to my brother and I picked up my phone and I realized I couldn't remember his name. Now picture I'm 33 years old. I have one brother. We talk to each other every week. And one of the things I realized is a powerful one word story I was telling myself in those early years of my career climb was that the only word that really mattered that equated with this success was the word yes. See, I grew up in a house where I didn't have and wasn't necessarily surrounded by a lot of professional female role models. And so when I came into the workplace, I took a combination of what I did growing up, you know, the chore chart kid who got the gold stars and checked things off and got approval for doing those right behaviors And then I combined it with what I thought I saw other successful people doing at work. And I thought what they did was they always said yes. And then they delivered results and made it look easy. And the reward for that was getting more. Well, in my case, that compounded into major medical to the degree that I went chronically undiagnosed for three and a half years as my hair fell out, my skin turned gray, my eyes even changed color at one point. And it was so alarming. It, By the way, after getting a correct diagnosis three and a half years later, it still took another five years to get well from that point. And of course, it was alarming to be staring out on a horizon where the story I was telling in my head was that next powerful word, never. I started saying to myself, I'll never be healthy. And also, I'll never be successful. Because what I had learned over time was the formula for success was saying yes and doing more. And I hit the point where that was no longer sustainable. And it was a really alarming feeling to not only be sick and not know what that might entail, you know, for my longer term future, but also to know the way I had gotten to the point I had in my life and my career literally could not continue. And that's where I say it kind of enters the third word, which is release. And I had never really had such a clear sense that I had very limited time and very limited energy, and I needed to be much more diligent about where I was spending that time and energy, which takes me to that third word in my three-word story, which is about release. I had to learn some techniques to release obligations that no longer served me to make room for people and experiences that did. And that became the genesis for me of starting to understand that people who are amazing leaders, and by the way, people who really enjoy their lives and lead fulfilling, happy, healthy lives, don't say yes to everything. What they do is they set a goal. They understand what success looks like for them. And they make choices about whether the time and energy they're spending is moving them closer to those goals or further from those goals. I found it was really challenging to learn those lessons very publicly as people watched me look very ill and struggle, right, to be the person that they had perhaps known and engaged with for so long. It was just a really transformative time in my life, though, to have that discovery. And I'm grateful I had it then when I still have many more years ahead of me to work and hopefully to live a full and happy life. Because that lesson about release, that lesson about you can have success with less is so powerful and has made it possible for me to not only have great experiences and be healthy, but also more importantly, to enjoy them. 
So tell us more about the process that you use, Karen, for determining which obligations serve you and which do not. Well, as a recovering activity addict, or perhaps a perpetually struggling overachiever, the most terrifying thought to me is saying no to something. And I think you add in being raised with that great Midwestern work ethic where you make a commitment and then you see that commitment through to the finish without quitting, right? It was really challenging to think about saying no. And so the formula I discovered, and I think about this as success with less, the first is pause. You can't solve for what's not working in your life or in your career at the speed at which we're all moving on a day-to-day basis. So the first piece for me, right, was giving myself a little bit of breathing room that you and I all need to say, okay, just take a brief pause and let's assess the situation that we're in. Next piece, ponder. And when I use that word, it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're going off on like a silent retreat or spending hours and hours in your journal. It's using that time for a moment to just think about, am I happy? Am I making progress toward my goals? You know, am I enjoying my life? And if not, what do I think at least one common denominator might be? On the flip side, it could be like the dreams deferred we were talking about earlier. Hey, I have a vision in mind. I had put this on the shelf for a while and maybe now's the right time to revisit it. And then the last one after pause and ponder is prioritize. And what I found really helps is choosing a goal that matters to you. For me at the point in time when I was very, very ill, I wanted more than anything just to be well. And so that became my singular goal. That's what success looked like to me was being healthy. And so when I would get asked to take on an additional project at work or to join another board or volunteer for a cause, even if it was unbelievably worthy, I would do that pause, ponder, and then prioritize, will investing my time and energy here help move me closer to or further away from my goal of being healthy? I found that made it so much easier to say no. When you're clear on your goal, it becomes a great filter for where you spend your best time and energy. And the great news is because that's a formula and a goal that you define, you have the permission to change it over time. I was fortunate to get healthy and put a new goal in its place and then got to reprioritize again. Yeah. So when you have a bigger yes, it's easier to say no. Were you communicating that goal to people? Because I imagine you talked about it being such a transformative time. And so the old Karen would have just come alongside and done whatever needed. And But now that you're prioritizing a bit differently, how was that communicating no, perhaps, to folks that you hadn't in the past? Communicating no was terrifying at first. And I tried to start small, right? I started by cleaning out the junk drawer in my house. You know, this one where you try to open it and it's filled with like the carryout menus, a rubber band, part of somebody's science fair project for whatever reason. I thought, you know what? If I can say no to some excess stuff in the junk drawer, I'll feel better. And then it won't involve people and I can build from there. So I cleaned out a closet and ultimately I chose one thing on my calendar Uh, That was a recurring meeting, actually a board in the community. And I felt that I had kind of served my purpose there and could maybe reclaim some time. And so I went to the board meeting and I was feeling kind of bold, right? I was on a roll. I mean, the junk drawer opened. It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, whoa, girl, you've got, you can do this. So we can do anything. We can get rid of that junk drawer. 
You can clean out the junk drawer. I mean, you can take on the world. I'm telling you, big dreams and small steps. So I go to this board meeting and I'm all emboldened with this confidence and my clear sense of my goal. And then I see these people and I'm like, oh my word, they're going to think I'm a horrible person, which is, I think, what the inside voice tells all of us in a very false way when we're trying to do something that is a goal for ourselves. You know, we're worried about what other people think. So I started to back away and I thought, no, you have to do this because you told like 10 friends you were going to do it and they're going to ask. And so at the end of the meeting, I pulled the board chair aside who I had known for some time. And I said, you might have observed, I've been undergoing a lot of changes. I'm having some health struggles. And because of that, I'm realizing I need to take some time to focus on my health, which means I can't continue on this board as much as I've enjoyed the impact we've made together. And I think it also means that someone else is now ready to sit in my seat. And in my head, of course, everyone was going to think I was a horrible person and a quitter. And what kind of tribute was I to my parents who raised me not to quit? And what I found was quite the opposite, which was every time I had a conversation like that, whether it was at a board or at work to say, do I personally need to be in this meeting or could someone from my team be ready to handle it? I was met with people saying, oh, I'm so glad you're trying to get healthy. How can I help? Is there anything I can do to open a door, refer you to a doctor? Can I check in with you later? I think it's great you're doing that. And and as that gained momentum, what I found was it gave other people permission to release some things as well and to think a little bit about their own goals. And the other piece too was I got some really unexpected support. You know, it would be a random Tuesday and maybe I was having a tough day because I got some results that were difficult to hear or handle. And just out of the blue, I would hear from someone from one of those boards or somewhere within a company or a friend group who would say, you know, I was just thinking about you. I know you're really in a big struggle right now. And I wanted to send you some great thoughts for the day. Or I read this article. I thought it might be helpful. Or when you're feeling up for it, let me know if you'd like to get together for coffee. Or here's a TED Talk that might inspire you. And so what I found was it actually built an incredible amount of allies in my journey that helped invest in the emotional energy to keep me going toward that goal when some of those steps started to feel really treacherous. Yeah, that's good. So the expectations that you were putting on yourself were so much greater than the expectations others were putting on you. Like as soon as you were vulnerable about how the where you were, the people come alongside and want to help. Well, I think one of the crystallizing leadership moments out of that whole experience and leadership lessons for me that I carried forward is I finally had the courage to release the need to work while I was on vacation. You know, this little motion where you tell your family or friends, like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom or get a water. And you're secretly like emailing and texting as fast as you can. You know, I just need to step out of this motion of relaxing to join a quick couple conference calls and do a few meals and then be mentally consumed the rest of the day, but I'll be right back with you. And when I finally took this vacation and released my need to work while I was gone, I returned. And one of the most brilliant leadership insights came in the form of my team saying to me, we're so glad you finally trusted us enough to take a break and leave us here in charge. And it struck me, I was paying forward this expectation of saying yes and being always on. And I was teaching other people some habits that ultimately made me really unhealthy that it took years to recover from. And that's always stood out to me, which is especially for those of us who manage people, they're always watching. 
And we're sending these unintended messages about what success looks like. And they pick up on that more than on what we say. Always. Yeah. What way are you modeling? Yeah, this is really good. You said, I finally had the courage to stop working during vacation. You know, and, and all of these things you're talking about, yeah, don't, don't they take courage, intentionality, and discipline? Because we've got these habits and these ways of showing up that are not serving, certainly not serving ourselves, and ultimately then not serving others because we're modeling those habits. The, it, it takes a lot of courage. So you had, I want to go back to the moment with the phone call and your brother, because you said there were, there had been some signs that you had ignored. And I think that uh, because in the midst of our fast paced, demanding, results-oriented world, like we're, we're go, 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 let's get the result. So you had this moment, you couldn't remember your brother's name. How, how, tell us a little bit about that. Was that immediately, did you recognize like, okay, I have got to get some help here? Yes, because it was the moment I could no longer ignore the other signs. Most of us get really off course because we ignore small moments along the way. These little crossroads or small decisions that we make, or to your point, we're always in such constant motion. And for me, that was a singular moment I could not explain away because what it forced me to reconcile was I had been forgetting other things also. And that isn't normal for me. And that perhaps the being tired and the weight gain and the not feeling well, when in conjunction with that, were really a signal of something much more serious. So for me, it was that powerful attention getting moment where I just could no longer ignore it. So do you find yourself now paying attention to the, the small, still voice more often than you did in the past? What I realized is I've made a number of adjustments over time. I didn't go from having a completely full calendar all the time to living in this daily blissful zen-like state of well-being. And it's been little steps along the way. And so I started small. And the first was looking at my calendar and each week finding one commitment that I could either remove from my calendar or reduce the duration. This could be the perpetual meeting series that gets on your calendar and never leaves. It could be the coffee get together with a friend that was two hours. Could it be an hour and a half? Whatever it might be. Small steps to reclaim time without trying to reassign that time to anything specific. Then from there, I started adding a small block of time to do work on Friday afternoons because I found if I could wrap up tasks at work by the end of the week, and sort of set the tone and plan the next week, I felt much more relaxed going into the weekend because I felt like I had a parking lot for that racing mind thought of, I didn't finish this, what am I doing next week, what's happening, and kind of planning through my week. From there, I started doing some journaling, not because I ever wanted to go back and revisit it. I just wanted a parking lot for sort of what I was thinking. Then over time, you know, that evolved to doing some meditation and doing some yoga and finding other ways to be still. But I didn't go from, I'm doing this insane schedule all the time where I never take a break to the other end of the spectrum. The other piece too that I found was a really great strategy that worked for me, which is instead of giving people gifts at like birthdays and holidays of stuff, I give gifts of time. And what I find is then there's less stuff that we all have to put in the junk drawer. 
But what it also does is it gives a concrete time with someone that is on the top of my priority list. And there's more enjoyment for both of us out of that, as well as just doing tasks with other people sometimes, right? It could be cooking a meal together. I'm fortunate to have friends who are great at any other number of skills like fashion and whatever it might be. So I'm all about the, you know, I'm finding the suit for the upcoming presentation. And I'm doing that with one of my friends who is great at it. And then we can spend time together. So I think I found maybe some different strategies for making space, giving myself permission to enjoy that space, and then not trying to fill everything with so much stuff, whether that's material possessions or the actual calendar. Well, and I love, that's why I love your analogy of the parking lot, because that's a good visual. I think our brains are so full, there's no space to put things. I also think of it as giving myself margin in my day, in my week, to just be and put things that need to be put somewhere. I'm thankful for a really great life coach and mentor that I've had for a number of years who shared with me this, I would call it tiny insight that makes so much sense. When I was pushing back on the idea that I could find time each day during a workday, you know, to have without a meeting, right? Or being in some kind of motion. And he said, have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas or when something synthesizes is when you're in the shower or running or at the gym doing something completely different? I'm like, oh, yes, right. You suddenly have this brilliant idea and you're like, why didn't I think of that sooner? He's like, you are in a mode where you're constantly taking in information and giving out information. And the best executives and leaders in the world put time on their calendars every week to just have free brain space for all of that information to come together, to look for patterns, to let it kind of simmer because they can't come up with new innovation in the midst of taking in and giving information and being constantly stimulated. And I thought, isn't that interesting? So I started asking because I thought, well, that might work at small companies, but I worked at big companies and these people always looked very busy to me. And so I started asking and I found that the senior leaders who I had a lot of respect for, who I found were very effective both at connecting with people and really building a sense of team and also at delivering innovation and results did indeed have blocks of time on their calendar where they were not in meetings and they were not doing emails and they were not doing Twitter. They were literally just maybe whiteboarding or scanning through notes from a series of recent conversations And literally giving themselves room to put together, what does it all mean? And where could we go next with this information? And it was revelatory to me to find out that these very big leading execs at big companies found that to be the most vital activity they undertook in any given week. Absolutely. Well, isn't that good leadership? Managing the time you have and maximizing it. That's that's good leadership. There are so many takeaways from our conversation. As we as we close, I want to ask, uh, I want to get your thoughts on one more thing. So uh, the message around progress, not perfection is a good one because we are all achievers. And I'm sure our listeners can will do just what I did. Right. I, I heard this transformation and I was very quick to say, OK, like you got from here to here. <laughs> and you said, well, yeah, that took time. Right. That took intentionality and baby steps. So if you could go back now to when you were first starting your career at AT&T, what advice would you give to yourself then? Learn to live in the messy. 
And here's what I mean by that. When I think about the closest relationships that I have and treasure in my life, whether those started personally or professionally, are the people who I could go to their home or they could come to mine and open up the refrigerator on any given Tuesday night and help themselves to a drink, realizing that the refrigerator is not going to be perfectly clean and organized. It may not always contain the perfectly healthy snacks that we all like to tell ourselves we're eating. There's going to be a state of messy there. And yet the relationships I value the most are the people and places where I can do that. And that doesn't come from always presenting a perfect image. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget hosting a dinner with some very good friends and doing the flight of the bumblebee before they get there, right? Open the dishwasher, just shove everything in, don't load it. Open the laundry room, shove everything in there, shut the door and present this perfect image that you pulled together an amazing dinner party effortlessly with every hair in place. And at the end of the evening, a friend went to open the dishwasher to load more dishes in it. And I'm like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> and it wasn't because the dish was going to fall out. It was this flash moment of my imperfections going to be revealed. You're going to see that it was messy to get to this goal. What a great story. And the friend was like, it's no big deal. They took everything out of the refrigerator and loaded it. And you know what? We're still friends. It was really remarkable. The person did not say, my word, I can't believe you, you stuffed all these dishes in here without loading them. You're horrible. We can't be friends anymore. And so I think those minutes were these tiny life indicators that build up to being these big stories we tell ourselves get unraveled a little at a time. It's very eye-opening to find out that our worst fears aren't grounded in reality. People don't like us because we present perfection. People like us and we connect when we're authentic and real. And so I would, I would tell myself, I would coach myself, just learn to live in the messy. That's great because it's real. And who can't relate to that? We've all got the messiness. We've all got so much stuff. So start with the junk drawer. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what connects us. We've all got the junk drawer and it shows up in lots of ways. It absolutely does. Karen, if our guests want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Guests can connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Karen Manji. Okay. Well, we know where to find you. Thanks for all these insights. You, you are a gift. I needed to hear this today. The commitment that I'm walking away with is during my weekly scheduling, I'm going to find one thing that I can reduce, that I can minimize, that I can say no to, that I can delegate. There's got to be something. And that's a place to start. Progress, not perfection. Right, Karen? Exactly. I think my three guiding questions on that, when I look at the calendar and it feels difficult to remove something, I try to think about, does it have to be me? Does it have to be me right now? And what happens if it's not me right now? That's good. Well, in particular, that last one, too, because if you play that out, like what's the worst that's going to happen if you reduce this activity? Thank you, Karen. I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.